Welcome to Tales from Avastrum, Titan's Vengeance. Episode 4 Polonius Aberfoyle stepped out of the fireplace that dominated the front hall of Timernak and brushed a little bit of ash off his lapel. He turned to head up the staircase leading to Craven Bloodthorn's office, then paused. He looked toward the front courtyard where the Louisiana sun came shining through the ivy. He sighed. <sighs> they can wait a few minutes. He strolled out into the courtyard and down the path to the gardens. As he'd expected, she was out there, her golden hair pulled up into a bun to beat the summer heat of the gulf. She was tending to the snapdragons and they were nipping at her fingers. Now stop that, you naughty little things, or no dessert. That's better. Hi, Audrey. Audrey Desirand, Tamarnak's herbology professor, looked around and had to blink because of the sun in her eyes. Then she realized who it was. Cass! She sprang up and nearly tackled him with a hug so fierce you would think they hadn't seen each other in years. What are you doing here? Belatedly, she realized she hadn't wiped off her hands and was now busily trying to brush the soil from the back of his coat. Ellie has been here working on something with Craven, and they sent me a message that they need my help. Something to help find Clark? Seems like it. But I couldn't come all the way here and not see my favorite herbologist. I'm so glad you did. What do you think of the garden? I've done a lot of work out here since you last visited. I can tell. I'm amazed at how quickly everything is growing. Well, you have to love the Delta soil. So much richer than the clay and all the plant beds at Avastrum. I'm sure your magic touch doesn't hurt either. Audrey blushed slightly and gave him a light punch on the arm. How long has it been since you visited us here? A couple of years, I think? Eh, might be longer. I think I was still Secretary of Magic at the time. Oh, that's right. So three years, then. Yeah, it must be. It's just... hard, you know? Well, sure. What with running the government, and then a big company... No, that's not what I mean. Audrey raised an eyebrow quizzically at him. Polonius steeled himself for what he was going to say next. He had practiced this conversation in his head dozens of times over the last few months, but he still had no idea what was about to happen. It's hard to come here and see... you. Audrey started to look very angry, and Polonius knew he had already started off on the wrong foot. Uh, that came out wrong. It's wonderful to see you, always. What I mean is... It's hard to see you, because every time I do, I have to remember what a coward I am. What in the world are you talking about, Cass? When you stood up eight years ago and said you wanted to come here with Craven and rebuild Timernak, I didn't say a word. I just let you walk out that door without telling you how I felt, and I've regretted it every day since. Cass! I love you, Audrey. I've loved you for a long time, and I could never find the courage to tell you that. And I know it isn't fair to tell you now, because you're with Craven, and, and I don't want to get in the way of your happiness. Cass? 
But Clark's lost, and we may not ever get him back, and, and it just got me thinking about how it would feel if I never told you, and... Polonius trailed off, only to realize that Audrey was laughing. And what did I say that was so funny? <laughs> Cass, Craven and I aren't together. You're not? <laughs> Goodness, no. Ugh, can you even imagine? He's a friend, and a colleague, and my boss, but it isn't like that. It's not? <laughs> no, you bird brain. So does that mean... Audrey took Polonius's hands in hers and looked him in the eyes. I don't know what that means, Cass. I adore you. I really do. But you're my friend, and we're such great colleagues, and... I just don't know if I'm ready to risk all of that. Plus, we're so far apart all the time. A tendril of Audrey's hair had fallen out of her bun and was now dangling in front of her face. Polonius reached up and tenderly brushed it behind her ear. I don't want to lose anything we have either. But it's only a couple minutes travel by flu network. Maybe we can just start slow. I've waited eight years already. I can be patient. How about dinner after I get done with Craven and Nellie? All right. She leaned in and kissed him tenderly on the cheek. There's a terrific little cafe down in the quarter we can go to. Sounds wonderful. Well, I'd better go wash up then. I have dirt under my fingernails. She started off toward the greenhouse. Polonius watched her for a moment then turned and headed to Craven's office, trying to keep himself from skipping as he walked. Cristela Coles walked down the corridor, her blue shoes clip-clopping smartly on the wooden floor, and approached Shadow Wiseacre and Jolene Latrova at the small wooden desk they had set up just outside the time chamber. The desk was strewn with papers, covered in notes and scribbles, all linking to different places and times. Bonjour. Good morning. Good morning. Shadow, are you joining the travel team today? Not this time. I've got someone to keep an eye on. As if on cue, E.J. Bumble made his way down the hall with Jasper Glass at his side and Gwen de Grants tailing close behind them. I swear to Merlin, EJ! You were supposed to be in the medical wing half an hour ago! Yeah, yeah. We'll get there eventually. It's not a big deal. He seemed to have more energy at this point, but the color hadn't yet returned to his cheeks, and he was still looking quite ill. EJ, what are you doing? EJ was about to answer Shadow when Alator Boudreaux stepped out of the time chamber. As soon as he laid eyes on the head boy and the Lobostro prefect, Alator's eyes narrowed and he crossed his arms. Well, I hope you both learned your lesson and aren't planning to do any more sneaking around. Well, no. <sighs> Is that no, you have not learned your lesson, or no, you will not be sneaking around? EJ and Jasper exchanged glances and shrugged. Both? I think both. Yeah, both sounds right. Can't say I'm surprised. Well, what do the two of you want now? We would like to redeem ourselves. 
We can do better than that. Alator's face contorted into a mixture of amazement and anger as he opened his mouth to respond. EJ quickly interjected before Alator could speak. But, but, but not today. But eventually. Yes, eventually, maybe. Such as after you've graduated. But we'll have found Clark long before then. Well, that's just perfect. Then you won't even have to worry about it. Well, that's just rude. Look, I'm as stubborn as I am because of Clark. I know he would do the same for any of us. Jolene snorted slightly, then repeated the saying Clark had told all of his students for many years. Do as I say, not as I do. Would he have listened to anyone telling him that? I swear, one day you kids really will be the second death of me. We will continue this conversation later. The rest of us have a mission to perform. Jasper nodded and turned to escort EJ back to the hospital wing. Alator joined Maldrego Devante, Scorpio Douglas, and Anastasia Boudreaux in the time chamber as Shadow closed the door behind them. Within a few moments, a faint whirring could be heard. Jolene turned to Reginald Kenton. Reggie, please ready your watch. Certainly. Ready at your go, Miss Latrova. Inside the time chamber, Alator adjusted the settings on the armillary sphere, and the room was filled with whirring sounds as the device began to warm up. The team disappeared as if being sucked up by a vacuum. Then, suddenly... In the middle of the journey, chaos ensued. The team was hurled back into the present with intense force. Alator was thrown into the wall so roughly that the wall gave way and caved around him. Anastasia was propelled upward into the ceiling, then fell to the floor as chunks of plaster fell all around her. Outside the time chamber, Shadow was the first to react, snatching Jolene by the collar and dragging her out of the way of the doors. Scorpio came blasting through them as they're shot out of a cannon, wood shards scattering from the doors, ripping off their hinges, and he came to rest ten feet down the hall. Maldraco materialized in thin air just below the ceiling, then dropped like a rock onto the table, sending the honorary sphere tumbling down the hallway and shattering the table itself. What the hell? Shadow bolted to the time chamber, Cristalla right behind her. Jolene dashed over to Scorpio to make sure he was okay. <gasps> Are you alright? I'm, I'm fine. My ribs broke my fall. <clears throat> and probably themselves. I'll go get Cigna. Gwen bounded down the hall, nearly slamming right into EJ and Jasper, who had quickly turned back around after hearing the commotion, wands drawn and faces frantic. Shadow moved to help Anastasia up from off the floor and out of the room, and Cristala did the same for Alator. Scorpio sat up and shook his head, as if trying to clear the cobwebs. <sighs> what a rush! <laughs> what happened? I believe that something interfered with the device, causing it to reject the team as they were beginning travel. Like getting kicked out of a server? There was a long pause as everyone turned their attention slowly to Jolene, confusion written on their faces. Oh, I... Uh, the Quidditch coach stammered, 
looking rather uncomfortable. It's a muggle thing? Storm was trying to explain to me. I... I don't really know. Well, uh, I certainly feel like I've been kicked. By a mule. Uh, Reggie, is the time chamber... Alator trailed off as he looked towards the time chamber. Except, now there was no chamber. Only a blank wall where the shattered doors had been. Where's the time chamber? Look. No doors. Where'd it go? It couldn't have just disappeared. As Scorpio finished his sentence, Reggie gave a little cluck of the tongue and inclined his head. Well... You mean it can? There's anything that you just, like, don't know? Walking Encyclopedia Britannica? Maldraco picked up the bent and dented armillary sphere. Say we take this thing and put it on another, more sturdy table. Created a new time chamber. Would that be safe to use? Even if that were possible, it's doubtful. Unless, of course, you want to go for another round. Yeah, I'd really rather not. Yeah, hard pass. So, what now? Well, there has to be some way to fix the chamber, right? There must be, but I I wouldn't even know where to start. Maybe not, but I think I may know someone who does. Who? Someone here at Avistron? No, but she used to be a student here. After she graduated, she went abroad to study astronomy and alchemy. She's written some brilliant pieces, but one of her more obscure works is about time travel equipment and how it functions. Wait, I know who you're talking about. She was in Parador, wasn't she? Oh, yeah. Evie Bradford, right? Gwen's head snapped around to look at Jolene. Wait. The Evie Bradford? She's the one. Gwen let out a small sound like a squeak. Alator chuckled before turning back to Shadow. Well, we are desperate. If you truly think she can help, I trust you. Perfect. I'll send her an owl right away. Shadow turned on her heel and headed to the gallery. Late that night, Alator paced in his office, whiskey glass in hand. He couldn't get rid of this nagging pressure in his chest, nor keep his mind from running wild. He knew his lack of sleep was catching up to him, and he knew that the others could see it as well. He stopped to look out at the starry sky through the window. Even in the distorted glass against the midnight sky, he could see the bags under his eyes. He tugged at the one under his left eye with his finger. Lord. Go to sleep, Alator. You're no use to these people if you're only half conscious. He paused for a moment, looked around the room, and sighed. And now I'm talking to myself. That's wonderful. He moved behind his desk, setting his drink down among the stacks of papers that Jolene and Anastasia had dropped off earlier that evening and sank heavily into his green leather chair. 
Jolene and Anastasia had both been doing their own independent research to cover as much ground as they could, and this was some of the fruits of their labors. He appreciated them more than he could ever express, along with everyone who had spent nearly every waking hour trying to find Clark since his disappearance. He knew they were all just as exhausted as he was. Wait a minute. He stared at the papers in front of him, not sure if he was really seeing what he was seeing or if he was going cross-eyed from lack of sleep. Alator grabbed the stacks of notes and cleared off the rest of his desk with a sweep of his arm. Trinkets and books clattered to the floor, and with obsessive purpose, he laid the papers out very deliberately on his desk. Alator stood up straight, now wide awake, looking at the papers and notes he had just pieced together like a puzzle. Clark, you clever piece of work. Alator grabbed a quill and scratched something on a piece of paper, then bolted from his office and down the hall to the headmaster's office. Aside from Clark's personal belongings and the occasional visitor who had stopped in to look at it forlornly, it had been empty since Clark was lost to time. Alator muttered something under his breath, repeatedly, quizzically glancing from the paper in his hand to the room around him. Finally, his gaze settled upon a small sculpture of the Egyptian god Anubis on the desk. All right, Clark. What do you got for us? He approached the desk cautiously, almost like he was afraid it could explode at any moment. He settled his hand on the top of the sculpture. Now he could see that it detached from the base. It was a box. A chill shot through Alator's spine. This was the first real, concrete lead they'd had among a dizzying array of failures. It had become obvious that Clark was desperate, leaving his trail everywhere. They had just been looking at it wrong. Whatever Clark wanted them to find was important, and it was inside this statue. Alator took a deep breath, braced himself, then slowly opened the box. It was a small piece of parchment. Alator had been expecting something more for some reason. Puzzled, he picked it up and read the scrawled message within. His knees suddenly felt like they couldn't support him and he sank into Clark's chair, raking his hand through his hair. He hadn't known what to expect, but what he had found left him speechless. The narrator is played by Stephanie Prue. Polonius Aberfoyle is played by Chad Patton. 
Audrey Treble Desirand is played by Susan Thomas. Cristela Coles is played by Krista Colasar. Shadow Weisinger is played by Haley Munoz. Jolene Latrova is played by Jolene Frescas. Gwendolyn DeGrantz is played by Sarah Jenkins. EJ Bumble is played by Lainey Flanagan. Jasper Glass is played by Jesse Davis. Alatoa Boudreaux is played by Cody Miller. Reginald Kinton is played by Matthew Bianchi. Maldraco Devante is played by Matt Sumter. Scorpio, played by Mike Ashley. Anastasia Boudreaux is played by Rachel Finley. Join us next time for Episode 5 of Tales from Avistrum, Titan's Vengeance. For more info, please visit our website at www.avistrum.org, visit our Facebook page, or search for Avistrum on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, stand tall and raise your wands high. Bye.